0: Words such as trigger, toxic, catastrophize and denial have become common parlance, boundaries and gaslighting and processing and narcissism and self-care and safe space and healing. But my first guest, my guest, my first guest is our, who is a psychoanalyst who is credited with establishing psychoanalytical therapy as evidence-based treatment, is concerned that the pop psychology language of clichés and abstract concepts are distancing us from difficult aspects of emotional life. He's not alone in this view. There's been a rash of commentary to this effect. Dr. Jonathan Shedler is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, He is a psychologist, and more to the point, he is a psychoanalyst by profession and inclination. And he's with me now. Hello. Hello. Given that not so long ago... No one talked about their mental health at all. Could we not kind of celebrate this outbreak of therapy speak?
1: Um, I guess I would be feeling more celebratory about it if I thought that it was cele- you know if I thought it was a way of speaking that was um, you know bringing us. Closer to a psychological understanding of ourselves and other people, and you know what, what what people are talking about now is as therapy speak, you know, or psychobabble. Really, is just the opposite. It 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 has, um, you know, it it kind of pretends to address things at a psychological level. It you know, it has a kind of a pretense of psychological understanding, while more often than not, actually leading us further away from a, a meaningful understanding of ourselves and others.
0: What's caused the outbreak? Is it, I mean, social media, I guess, but also the wellness industry, the self-help industry? Um, yeah, I think it's a
1: confluence of a number of, of different things, you know, certainly self, certainly, social media, but also, you know, the whole wellness industry has kind of become big business. You know, it's a, it's a free-for-all now. So, you know, every social media digital marketer, every, you know, venture capital funded you know wellness startup is jumping into this this space you know and injecting this this language of um you you know it's it's the language of of self-reflection but I think really in the service of of, of selling something, and and then, then that language, you know, selling something often of, of dubious value, and and then that language is kind of you know permeated into the culture, and you know now people just kind of use psychobabble words by 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 default, and and the funny thing about them to me is people think that that's how legitimate legitimate psychotherapists speak, and it's actually not. Like real therapists, at, at, at least, you know, capable and competent therapists, don't speak in this language. You know, th- th- this is a language of sort of social media and and pop psychology and, and and self-help. This isn't actually
0: even the language of psychotherapy. So you don't use the words triggered and and boundaries and healing. Not. <laughs> no, actually, I I, I don't,
1: and um, you know we'll just pick one of the words you said, you know, triggered, because it's it's really a prime example of what I mean of using language that, you know, in a way makes a claim to be, you know, to be, uh, makes a claim on psychological thinking and and you know, self. Knowledge and self-awareness, right? It, it it sounds like something that somebody would come up with, you know, who's who's really made a sincere effort to I- examine themselves, you know, and, you know, understand their their inner experience. It sounds like that, without actually saying anything, you know. So, if a patient were to say to me, if they were to describe an event, and say uh, you know, yeah. And the other person said, you know, this or that. And, and it triggered me. If, if that's all they say, and they don't say anything else, you know, think about it. We don't actually have the slightest idea what that brought up for them, what their experience of it was, what it meant to them, what feelings went around, you know, triggered could mean, you know, absolutely everything and 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 therefore you know nothing so it's a way of speaking about our experience in a very very you know kind of vague you know general kind of way without you know without actually taking the trouble to you know to to consider what it's bringing up in us what thoughts feelings memories and so on
0: or, or to communicate that but that's so your just, job right i mean i could say doctor the Madeleine triggered me and then you could say well let's talk about that
1: well we yeah, are of course that's my job and if, if somebody you know if somebody said that triggered me I would, I would probably say you know tell me more help me understand that but what i've observed is in you know public discourse uh, you know certainly on social media people talk this way all the time and and it actually leads nowhere it's you know it it's kind of it's kind of a way of talking about ourselves without actually communicating anything about ourselves and then it's you know it's a kind of bizarre irony that that's what people now think happens in psychotherapy you know they think they think they go to psychotherapy you know to learn this kind of abstract artificial language you know and you know this new way to speak about themselves you know actually in good therapy what we do is we speak in the plainest possible plain english when people speak from the heart they don't use words like that you know they say you know it made me sad it was devastating i felt terribly sad because and it brought to mind this or that or you know it made me terribly angry i was enraged right? they don't they don't speak in these they don't speak in these abstractions you know that are kind of skipping lightly over the surface of our experience and and of course the the purpose of meaningful psychotherapy is that we come to know our experience more fully and more deeply right right so the irony is we talk as if that's what we're doing or trying to do, while in fact, you know, steering very clear of doing anything of
0: the sort. I suppose also the word triggered and and lots of the others, gaslighted and you know even narcissism, they're all in a way criticizing somebody else. They are putting the (laughs) the, responsibility for what one feels
1: on somebody else. Well, that's a very insightful comment. And I think you're, I think you're right. Because, you know, one of the goals of therapy, psychotherapy, people, people come in and, and they often feel, you know, quite mistreated by the world, quite mistreated by people, people they're close to. And, And in many cases they are, but we don't, go to psychotherapy to fix something that's wrong with somebody else, you know, or the world outside. I mean we you know, if it's a psychotherapy problem, it's because the person realizes that, that, that there's some way that they're contributing unnecessarily to their own suffering. We go to we go to psychotherapy to understand ourselves more fully and You know, to change something about us that's that's causing difficulties or limitations or unnecessary suffering, or you know, or keeping us stuck in situations that are unhappy for us, or you know, exacerbating you know things that are already problematic. The the purpose of psychotherapy, what I what I call. What I call exploratory or insight-oriented therapy aimed at our understanding ourselves you know really has one purpose and one purpose only right and that is to change something about ourselves that could allow us you know to live life in a in an easier happier more satisfying way and it's very natural you know people I mean you know people want to you know, people don't want to examine themselves. They don't want to take responsibility for their role in events. That's natural. That's that's human. Right? We, I mean, I mean, the psychological defenses are a necessary form of protection. And they're you know woven throughout the fabric of our lives. But what we do in psychotherapy, really, is say, you know, well, here are these bad circumstances, these things that you're unhappy about. Um. Could there be a way that you know that that we ourselves are contributing to this, and you know in understanding that more deeply does it give us the option to to start to do things differently so patients might come in and you know and initially start speaking in in therapy speak you know therapy starts where it starts we we meet the patient where they're at is the is the expression um, but the therapy has to work toward something else that's the starting point right so if the person is speaking about their experience in in general or abstract terms it's a it's a fundamental principle of psychotherapy that we move from the general to the specific right from the vague to the personal right so we we don't we don't want to leave the person speaking in a way you know that that sort of shifts all accountability elsewhere because that's at cross-purposes with the work of therapy, which is ultimately to change something about ourselves, that something about ourselves that we desire to change and that psychotherapy plausibly could help us to change.
0: Well, you said something very interesting Uh, a little while ago, you said, the truth is many patients do not come to therapy to change. They (laughs) They may say and think they want to change but it soon becomes evident that they want to continue being exactly the person they have been and living life in the same self-limiting ways. But they want to feel I, better doing <laughs> it. <laughs> that
1: sounds very familiar, and it sounds like something I would have said. Yeah. I, don't, I don't recall exactly where I said it. But, yeah, there's, there's a basic But maybe principle. that's all
0: right. I mean, as long as they feel better about it, no, who no, are you to actually... say who well, are you to say that they're limiting themselves? Oh, that's right. It, it's You're a not, psychoanalyst. It's, well, it's not. It's it's not
1: for me to say. Right. It it it's it's for the person to come to recognize. You know, come to recognize that. And you know, as far as the quotation that you just read, you know, there's a, there's a fundamental principle here. This this is probably the most you know fundamental recognition of of psychoanalysis and and the recognition is we're not of one mind about things you know when we say i feel this i want that i don't want that you know it's not clear what the i is that that you know what i refers to in that that sentence because there is no unitary i right That, that we are all of many minds about a lot of things about about important things so when people Come to therapy, they come because at least a part of them you know believes or hopes that 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 things could be better for them, that life could be better for them right that that there's some way that there's causing that they're causing difficulties for themselves, and perhaps it doesn't have to be that way so there's a part of the person that comes to therapy looking for understanding and growth and change there's another part of the person that 's very invested in continuing and justifying the status quo and and that's normal, right? that 's normal that 's not pathological that 's not you know that 's not a disorder that 's the way we 're constructed as as human beings we we work at cross purposes with ourselves so you know anybody who has any any significant experience doing psychotherapy learns very early on people will come in and say i want to change you know this or that about me or about my life is intolerable i i need things to be different i want them to be different and you begin working toward that and you very very quickly discover that there are other parts of the of the person in the room with you that have a very different agenda and that are working at cross purposes with that and that's what we that's what we call Defense and resistance—they're just—they're just part of how we're constructed as human beings. So we always have to recognize that we're not working with one patient or one person. We're working with multiple versions of that person that are there in the room at the same time, right, that that might have very different purposes and intentions. And one of the things that we do in psychotherapy is we make room to hear from. All of the different facets of the person, right? If the person's of two minds of, about something, or three, or four, or ten, you know, we want to hear from all of them. We want to hear from them in 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 thoughts and in words, and you know, in, in the process of doing that, the the person becomes more whole. The different the different parts, the different facets of themselves, begin to work more in concert, you know, in harmony rather than at cross purposes. That, that's what the work is about. And, you know, my fear with the therapy speak is so, you know, so a simpler way of saying everything that I just said is people come to therapy and, you know, they want to change. And at the same time, there are parts of them that don't want to change and would prefer to locate, you know, responsibility for their difficulties outside themselves, you know, ex- externally. And, um, the, the, the trouble with therapy speak is that it colludes with the defenses the, the, the side of the person the sides plural of the person that that don't want to change right that, that want to speak as if we're in the business of examining ourselves of, of, of self-reflecting as if we are doing those things without actually doing them. Right and and that's why I mean you said it very nicely that if somebody comes in and says um you know says this triggered me, we really have to move to the specifics. you know, tell me more about that, help me understand you know when, when you say it, it triggered you you know, what, what was triggered, and how do you understand that, and what more does that bring to mind for you right? so we're we're exploring we're exploring deeper layers. Of experience meanwhile we I
0: found myself thinking all those people in the same room <laughs> no wonder <laughs> well, psychoanalysis yeah. takes you know years four times a week oh no
1: that's 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 uh, <laughs> that's a is that a myth so promulgated
0: by Woody Allen
1: it's a myth promulgated by a lot of people so you know classical psychoanalysis you know first of all you know let, let's be clear psychoanalysis is the oldest and and the first Psychotherapy tradition; it literally dates to the horse and buggy age, right? When the father of psychoanalysis, Freud, first you know first gave the field it, it its name, you know, came up with the term psychoanalysis, and began doing this work. I mean, I mean, it was well over a century ago, and it was literally in the horse and buggy era. And you know, in those days, you know, psychoanalysis took place five days a week. The patient typically lay on a would lay on lie on a couch. I mean that was an awful long time ago. So so the word psychoanalysis today actually refers to, to three different things. The same word, but three things. You know, one is it's it's a it's a body of knowledge, right? A very, very complex literature and you know, ways of understanding things that, that's evolved over more than a century. It's very rich literature, right? Second, it's a range of different kinds of therapies, plural that that are based on that draw on that body of knowledge right so you can do psychoanalytic therapy you know once a week not five times a week you can do it sitting in a chair right right i mean you know psychoanalysis is not a piece of furniture you know a couch or an anatomical position lying down it's a it's a an interpersonal process between between two people and and the third thing the word refers to is it's a certain way of thinking about the mind and behavior, a certain sensibility um, that really applies Regardless of the type of treatment we're, we're providing. And, you know, it's a sensibility that understands that we don't fully know our own hearts and minds. There are levels or layers of experience. Some are more accessible than others. Um, it's a sensibility that recognizes that, you know, the mind is not unitary, like we were talking about a moment ago, that, you know, there were of many minds about a, a lot of things. And it's a sensibility that recognizes that You know, the way we function is based on certain patterns we acquire fairly early in life through our earliest formative relationships at the beginning. But, you know, we acquire certain kinds of relational patterns or, or templates that guide, you know, how we think about and feel about and understand and behave in relationships with other people. And those patterns come out in one form or another in, in any of our relationships, you know. So when we say psychoanalysis, it, it it means all of those things. It's not lying on a couch for four or five days a week, you know, with a a silent analyst smoking a cigar in the background. That, that,
0: that that's an old stereotype. However, and you mentioned yes. Freud, the idea yeah. that Freud has been discredited and a lot of his ideas were nonsense. Fade into the idea that psychoanalysis was not particularly scientific. You spent a lot of time countering that. How do you counter it?
1: Well, you know, first of all, the statement, you know, a lot of Freud's ideas were nonsense, actually is flat out wrong the overwhelming majority of Freud's ideas are now taken for granted by everybody and by every form of psychotherapy, right? So the idea, you know, the idea that we don't fully know ourselves, we, you know, we don't fully know our hearts and minds and we can come to know ourselves better. And there's benefit in that, right? That's Freud. The idea that people can be helped people with, Emotional problems, people in you know, emotional emotional or mental pain can be helped simply by talking. That's Freud. You know, the idea that there is such a thing as, you know, defense mechanisms. You know, you know, people bandy these words around. They say, you know, you're 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 in, in denial, you know, you're you're projecting. Well, where do you think those words came from? Those words came from psychoanalysis and from Freud. So what, what has actually happened historically is you know the 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 heart and soul of what makes psychoanalytic thinking psychoanalytic thinking you know has endured it is absolutely consistent with what we know from contemporary experimental psychology and from neuroscience right right the core ideas of it right are are widely accepted pretty much by everyone, but we don't associate it with psychoanalysis. We treat it as if it was just common knowledge and has always been common knowledge. And then what people do is they take some of the most, you know, inaccessible ideas that are really, you know, quite peripheral to psychoanalytic thinking, you know, say penis envy, right? They identify that with psychoanalysis and they say, oh, it's all been debunked completely ignoring the fact that we know from experimental research and we know from neuroscience research, it is in fact a fact. Penis envy is a fact. Not, no, no, no. It's a fact that we don't have full access to our own thoughts, feelings, mental life, emotional huh. life. That's the fact. Penis envy is the most peripheral thing imaginable. You, you could do away with the entire idea of penis envy and you know, all of psychoanalytic thinking and understanding would be fully intact. So, you know, the point I'm trying to make is you know, people associate psychoanalysis with the most, you know, inaccessible and, you know, questionable ideas. And they think that psychoanalysis. They say, well, it's all been disproven. And then in the same breath, you know, they proceed to talk about how they understand human psychology and how they work with people. And most of what they're saying actually comes directly from the psychoanalytic tradition. So it's a kind of sleight of hand, you know, where people want to simultaneously, you know, dump on it denigrate it pretend that it's been debunked you know like with you know they're sort of pushing it all away with one hand and incorporating more and more and more psychoanalytic ways of thinking and working with the other and that's
0: that's kind of the state of the mental health world right now i think one of the things that you argue most strongly against is cbt cognitive behavioral therapy because you think that it has got a reputation of being more effective than it is? Um, because
1: it's, well, you know, first of all, we, we should be clear. Once upon a time, people knew what CBT meant. You know, n- now it's just a, a, an acronym that people used to. To to sound in the know, and, you know they mean psychotherapy. <laughs> they mean oh, psychotherapy, really? but they say CBT to sound okay. a little more clever. But but here's but it, CBT
0: it's is different, right? CBT is saying, uh, what does it do? You say, tell me about your depression, and we'll try and work out what the causes. And CBT says, if you change your thinking you'll stop being depressed?
1: Well, that would be one version of CBT. That would be the original C. The, the right CBT stands for Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, which is actually a blending of two different traditions. Cognitive therapy that traces primarily to the work of, of Aaron Beck in the United States and behavior therapy, which was an American tradition. I mean, so so CBT, it, the, the, the term is actually a hybrid. But what's happened is, that, you know, the umbrella the, of the, the tent of what people think of as CBT has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. People are adding all kinds of new therapies to it, and they, they just call everything CBT now. So, you know, there's some CBT therapists who are very talented and, you know, do really good work. And, and I don't want to you know i i don't want to um you know I, I don't want to I, I i don't want to you know withhold credit where it's due but i'll tell you what i do object to and and i object as a scientist and a clinician both that there's been a movement that's that's that has arisen within CBT and the movement is called "quote unquote" evidence-based therapy. Now that sounds like a good thing. Who would not want therapy based on evidence? I mean, you'd be insane. To, you you want you want therapy that doesn't have evidence that it works? But, but see, the the problem is that evidence-based is actually a code word. It it doesn't mean grounded in evidence because psychoanalytic concepts and therapies. Are also grounded in evidence and that's been a lot of my a lot of my published work what what evidence-based therapy has de facto come to be is a code word for very very brief therapies you know typically six eight twelve sessions you know not much longer that are conducted literally by following an instruction manual you know for the purpose of, of, of Having a kind of standardized or uniform approach to doing therapy, right? Everybody gets the same treatment. The treatment is, you know, the, the treatment is described is, is outlined in, a, in an instruction manual that you, you know literally follow. The instruction manual is based on a DSM diagnosis. A- anyway, the the idea is somehow we can take complex long-standing ingrained human problems that have taken years or decades or a lifetime to develop and somehow in a matter of weeks we're going to magically make it all better and 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 the the people who are pushing these for so when people say evidence based therapy what you really can do is just substitute in your mind the the words very very brief instruction manual therapy done in a standardized way as if it were an assembly line and and there's a certain amount of um dishonesty in how these therapies are being promoted and sold. Because we hear a lot of words around this. We hear they're evidence-based, they're best practices, they're proven effective, they're the gold standard of care, and their own research does not support any of that none of that language is the language of science they speak about it as if it were science right gold standard is not a scientific word they speak about it as if it's science in fact the scientific evidence demonstrates that these very brief instruction manual therapies fail most people most of the time that's the scientific fact and i'll, I'll put numbers around it if you if you like go on then and, what's that go, go on Put All numbers right. around it Okay, so the most commonly studied uh, condition is, is depression. It's probably the most common, common diagnosed condition, and it's the most commonly studied condition. And you will hear people saying things like, you know, well... You know here's this form of brief cbt there's there's a, quite a range of different treatments offered under the, the banner of cbt so it's not even clear what cbt is but what they all have in common and they're very brief you know eight or 12 sessions typically they're conducted by an instruction manual now the, the researchers the people you know promoting these treatments point to scientific research and they say look you know look how many studies there are look you know look at how much evidence there is And what the studies are actually doing, they are asking and answering a question that is absolutely irrelevant to patients and clinical practitioners. The question they're asking is, they they look at, they conduct what's called a randomized control trial, where people, patients are randomly assigned to a treatment group that gets the CBT or a control group, typically that gets no treatment at all. They get assigned to a wait list. They get nothing. Or they get a a, a fake treatment, a sham treatment that's actually not a form of treatment practiced by anyone in the real world that's not designed to be helpful, that was created solely for purposes of the research study to be a foil, right? So what we're really doing is comparing, we're comparing the so-called evidence-based treatment to no treatment. And what the study is looking for is, is there a detectable difference between the group that gets, you know, the treatment and the control group is there a difference between these groups now no matter how you study it no matter what you do when you do these trials the answer to that question is is basically a foregone conclusion because there's of the going, placebo
0: effect apart from anything else
1: well lots of things we we call it common factors in psychotherapy but yeah we, you could call it placebo effect also but you know common factors there's an intention to offer help the patient believes that help is is at hand. You know, he gets to describe, the person, the patient gets to describe their problem. Somebody listens. There's an expectation that this is going to be beneficial. There are all these things that we, we call them in the, in the research literature, you know, common factors. They have nothing to do with any particular form of therapy. Anyway, it's a foregone conclusion that something that's intended to offer help is at least in the immediate short run which is when they measure the outcomes is going to you know be somewhat better than something that's not intended to help at all right so there's a difference between those groups and we say well it's statistically significant which is basically a term of art that means there's enough of a difference that we think it probably isn't just chance now that question is there a statistically significant difference between a group that gets treatment and a group that gets no treatment is it? i would argue a clinically and scientifically irrelevant treatment nobody should care what the answer to that is what we care about is are people getting well are they getting well and are they staying well or at least are they getting meaningfully better so all of this research that people point to and say evidence-based gold standard etc it never really focuses on that question how much better are people getting How many of the people who get this treatment get well let me tell you the numbers and they come from exactly the same research studies the same studies that people are pointing to and saying you know evidence-based therapy this is proven right what the actual the actual finding of these studies are the actual finding is is that seven out of ten people you know who are who are being treated for depression who get these brief so-called evidence-based treatments either do not improve at all or relapse very quickly. Seven out of ten. So there's something just bizarre going on. Where you have a treatment where we know from 40 years of scientific research and hundreds and hundreds of experiments, right? Right, this is a consistent finding across decades and across hundreds of studies. Seven out of ten people do not improve or relapse quickly. Right. So it's pretty bizarre. We we know that you know this is a treatment that is failing seven out of ten people who get it right? That's the scientific finding. And we simultaneously, you know, promote this narrative that these treatments are, you know, scientifically proven and evidence-based and the gold standard. And all of this language, all of this rhetoric misleads people into believing, you know, well, first of all, this is the best treatment. It's evidence-based. You know, that, that must mean that it's more effective than other treatments. No, research actually doesn't show that. That's I understand the, the point needs. you're
0: making. Do you think, however, it's possible that some CBT, whatever form it takes, is better for some people than others and than other forms of therapy? Um, I wouldn't, I, I would never think about it that way. You know,
1: people are, are individuals. You know, we, we don't say, it, well, it's quite just, so. It, 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 it's, and there's a me, whole let, range no, me, of let therapies let me, out let, there. Yeah. Let, let let me, let me clarify this it's it's really quite meaningful meaningless to say this therapy is better than that therapy or this therapy is better for you we, we always have to start with what's the problem why is this specific person coming to treatment what is this specific person looking for in treatment what do they want from it what would better mean for them right is it something that can be addressed by you know any form of therapy right mean, so to good therapy meaningful therapy to me you know it is very individual and it's kind of pointless to say is this better or is that better you know better for what better for whom better under what conditions yeah there are some right there are certain problems that can be treated very effectively by certain forms of cbt what i'm addressing is the snake oil of selling these treatments as somehow scientifically proven short-term magic bullets when actually the same science tells us that the treatments are failing the, the overwhelming majority of people. Right. Science also tells us some other things. Uh, we, we, we know on average, right? Everybody is different. I've done treatments that were successful that were literally one session, but, but that's a rarity. We, we know the parameters of how long therapy takes for most people on average. And, you know, what we know scientifically from, from a range of different studies is that it takes about six months for, you know, clinically meaningful change, you know, to to occur. That doesn't mean the person gets well. It just means there's enough change that we can say, you know, something important has happened. It takes six months before we see clinically meaningful change. And that change continues for one to two years. And those are realistic parameters for the duration of therapy, typically once a week, you know, for one to two years. Right? So as a starting point, right, we know that for most of the problems that bring people to psychotherapy. That's what it's going to take to do the job. All of these studies of so-called evidence-based therapy are over before meaningful psychological change even begins. So what we're actually looking at is short-term placebo effects, you know, or short-term more technically common factor effects that dissipate very quickly as soon as the treatment ends. And that's the scientific finding also.
0: I am very glad that you have got that off your chest, doctor.
1: <laughs> and we've gone.
0: We've gone. I feel a wee, much better uh, now. Uh, thank you. So, thank well, you for your help. Just okay. We've reached the end of the therapeutic hour. We've gone a wee <laughs> way from the idea of cheap therapy speak, but it did occur to me. Do you? We're told, and you mentioned it, that people are suffering a great deal from anxiety and depression. Are you? Do you suggest? that it's the seductive nature of the therapy language that makes claiming anxiety and depression too easy for individuals now?
1: Ooh. Um, You know, this, this brings us far afield, but I think there is something going on culturally at this particular juncture where, you know, somehow it's not enough for people to say, you know, I, I I'm unhappy, or life is difficult, or I'm frightened, or I'm worried. You know, we have to say I have depression, I have anxiety, as if that somehow you know makes makes their difficulties more more legitimate. And um, you know, I I think people have gotten accustomed to bandying about diagnostic terms in, in a way that takes the place you know of really understanding well what, what's going on, what what's going on with this particular person at this particular juncture of their life right it 's like the language takes the place of understanding and so i you know I would say if we're using this language and it's a preface to understanding more deeply if it's facilitating our understanding but it's a starting point of discussion, you know then it's useful and it's helpful you know we we want people to be able to talk about their difficulties and you know and 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 get help where you know where it's something that that mental health treatment could help with if if it's language that takes the place of looking more closely, what is it that's really wrong? What's going wrong? What are the, you know, what are the roots of this? What, you know, what is it, you know, how, how are these difficulties woven into the person's life and and how could it be rewoven in ways that, that, you know, could be better for them? If it takes the place of that, then it's, you know, <laughs>
0: Then it's not it's not serving a, a good purpose. Dr. Jonathan Shedler, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Dr. Jonathan Shedler he is a psychoanalyst. He's based at the University of California, San Francisco, and um, he might be best known for his article, "The Efficacy of Psychodynamic Psychotherapy," which is another way of saying psychoanalysis. I think. I believe.